WLRN Edition 90. Broadcasting in three, two, one. I was born woman. Off my knees, I will stand for my liberation. Sisters, rise again. I was born woman. Off my knees, I will stand for my liberation. Rise and rise again. Greetings, and welcome to the 90th edition podcast of Women's Liberation Radio News for this Thursday, October 5th, 2023. This is Thistle, founding member of WLRN and resident singer-songwriter. This month, I'd like to welcome our newest member, Ms. Kathleen Miles, to the team. Welcome, Kathleen. She will be taking over April's duties and providing us with a video version of the podcast for our YouTube channel each month. This month's edition focuses on feminists working with what is known as the political right to make gains for women's protections, privacy, and rights. We'll hear excerpts of the live stream discussion I had with Anne Menashe, Fran Luck, Holly Hart, and Jeanette Cooper, all feminists working towards the rights and protections of women, but with different takes on working with right-wing conservative politicians and whether that is a good idea. We'll also hear from our in-house radical feminist lesbian desert dweller, Sekhmet Shiaul, on the topic. So be sure to stay tuned till the very end of the show for that gem of a statement on this issue. The team at WLRN produces a monthly radio broadcast to break the sound barrier women are blocked by under the status quo rule of men. This blocking of women's discourse we see in all sectors of society be they conservative, liberal, mainstream, progressive, or radical. The thread that runs through all of American politics, except for separatist feminism, is male dominance and entitlement in all spheres. To start off today's edition, here's Mary O'Neill with Women's News from Around the Globe for this Thursday, October 5th, 2023. Take it away, Mary. Thanks, Thistle. A Nebraska woman who helped her 17-year-old daughter access abortion pills has been sentenced to two years in prison. Her daughter had been in her third trimester, and following the abortion, they buried the fetal remains. Her daughter was sentenced to 90 days in jail and two years of probation for removing or concealing human skeletal remains. At the time, abortion was banned at 20 weeks after conception, but in May 2023, a 12-week ban was instated. During the latest GOP debate, Governor Ron DeSantis agreed that he would sign a national 15-week abortion ban if elected president. In Florida, he has already signed a six-week abortion ban. This marks the first time in his presidential campaign that DeSantis has pledged to sign a federal ban, though he had stated during a radio interview, you put pro-life legislation at my desk, I'm going to look favorably and support the legislation. Employees of Mexico City's Cinemateque asked a trans-identified man called Laura Glover to leave the women's washroom. On camera, Glover is seen yelling at a male guard and harassing a female police officer. Despite an apology from the Cinemateque, which included a promise to educate staff, Glover organized a protest at the cultural heritage site, during which he and other protesters vandalized screens and went behind the concession stand, handing out products. Glover has since called for another protest. In the years since Masa Amini's murder, Iran has continued to clamp down on protesters. And now, a new bill passed by the Iranian parliament will impose even harsher penalties on women who they deem to be in violation of rules regarding the hijab. In addition to a strict dress code, the bill also declares that anyone who colludes with foreign media or governments to promote improper hijab may face up to 10 years in prison. In France, a gynecologist was condemned on X, formerly Twitter, after a trans-identified man complained that he had been denied service. The gynecologist responded, translated from French, Sir, I'm a gynecologist and I take care of real women. I've no skills to take care of men, even if they've shaved their beards and come to tell my secretary that they have become women. My gynecological examination table is not suitable for examining men. You've specialized in very competent services to take care of men like you. In the Spanish town of Almendralejo, at least 11 boys aged between 12 and 15 have been identified in either creating or circulating AI-generated nude photographs with more than 20 of their female classmates aged between 11 and 17. 
The girl's mother has been sure that this story is not silenced and have been contacted by other women around the world who have similar experiences. One of the girl's mothers, Dr. Miriam Aladib, posted a video telling the girls, with crimes of a sexual nature, the victim often feels shame and hides and feels responsible. So I wanted to give that message. It's not your fault. In South Korea, a man in his 40s was sentenced to two and a half years in prison for using artificial intelligence to generate approximately 360 pornographic images of children. In a welcome ruling, the court agreed with the prosecution when they argued that sexually exploitative materials should include sexual behaviors of virtual humans, such as those generated by AI. Senator Dianne Feinstein of California passed away at the age of 90 after having served in the Senate since 1992. Before that, she was mayor of San Francisco for 10 years, the first woman to hold the position. She was a woman of many firsts, including California's first female senator, the first woman to chair several Senate committees, and the first to preside over a presidential inauguration. J.K. Rowling's latest book, written under the pseudonym Robert Galbraith and entitled The Running Grave, was released this month to high acclaim despite the ongoing attempts by trans activists to discredit her. It is the seventh in the Cormoran Strike Detective series, and readers won't be disappointed by her allusions to contemporary events. In the two years since the Taliban's takeover of Afghanistan, millions of girls and women have been denied education, and they are still barred from attending universities, parks, and gyms. Their access to healthcare is limited, and forced marriages continue. As human rights abuses continue to mount, the international community has done little to fight for the rights of Afghan women and girls, leaving them to live and die in a male supremacist regime. Women's Declaration International USA hosted its second annual national convention from September 15th to 17th in San Francisco, California. The convention was targeted by protesters, who attempted to enter the hotel where the event was being held in order to harass attendees. After they were expelled by hotel security and later by San Francisco police, the protesters gathered outside the building, vandalizing hotel property and displaying signs threatening violence against feminists. Protesters also attacked and assaulted a hotel employee who stepped in to block further vandalism. Despite the male violence and intimidation, the convention went forward, about 100 members of WDI USA in attendance and speakers presenting on a variety of topics related to women's sex-based rights. That concludes WLRN's World News segment for Thursday, October 5th, 2023. I'm Mary O'Neill. Share your news stories, announcements, and tips with us by emailing info at wlrnmedia.com and letting us know what's going on. Today, here in Topeka.
picker, the flies are a buzzing, the dog is a barking and the floor needs a scrubbing. One needs a spanking and one needs a hugging, Lord. One's on the way. Oh, gee, I hope it ain't twins again. That was Loretta Lynn with her song, One's on the Way. Next up, we'll hear excerpts of a roundtable discussion Thistle conducted over WLRN's live stream channels last weekend about feminists working with the right to further the goals of feminist liberation. Is that even possible? Some feminists think it is not, and others believe we need to build bridges politically to achieve specific political goals. Since I wasn't able to make it out to San Francisco to cover the WDI USA convention like I'd hoped since I got COVID, we decided to have two of the panelists from the discussion at that convention on, Anne Menashe and Fran Luck, and to invite Holly Hart and Jeanette Cooper to provide a countering point of view. The entire discussion can be viewed on WLRN's YouTube channel under the live tab. But for the podcast today, you'll first hear Fran Luck, longtime producer and show host of Joy of Resistance Multicultural Feminist Radio on WBAI radio station in New York. Fran describes what the right is before we hear from Jeanette Cooper, founder of Partners for Ethical Care, a parent and child advocacy organization who speaks about working with right-wing politicians to further specific goals. After Jeanette, the mic is handed off to Anne Menashe, founder of FIST, Feminist in Struggle, the signatory organization to the Declaration on Women's Sex-Based Rights. Anne is disillusioned with both the Democrats and the Republicans and has been a longtime voting and running member of the Green Party. Finally, you'll hear from Holly Hart, a second wave lesbian feminist activist based in Portland who offers her views on the topic. We hope to do more live stream discussions like this one in the future where all women are treated with respect and all get the mic and the chance to be heard. Contact info at WLRNmedia.com with your discussion and show ideas to keep us moving forward. Thanks, sisters. Now please enjoy Fran Luck, Jeanette Cooper, Anne Menashe, and Holly Hart in conversation with Thistle Pedersen as they speak about feminists working with the right. I have been following the right wing uh, and the um, particularly the nonstop assaults on the right to abortion, which has, was so hard won uh, in 1973, was that was radical feminist energy went into that fight. The story isn't well enough known. One of the things I do on the show is tell these stories that are should be known and aren't well enough known. A lot of a lot of history because we need to know our history to understand where we are. And uh, Red Stockings helped to teach me that. It's it's really critical for any movement. So um, getting to the right wing. Uh, I first attended a conference about 25 years ago at Columbia University where there was a lot of information on the plans of the right wing to dominate the whole society. I mean, concrete plans. So let me go to some of my notes. Um, so I want to deal a little bit with what is the right, since we're going to be discussing that. Well, they're a huge web of interconnected organizations that have been working together for decades on a long-term political strategy, and they're very, very well funded. Uh, they, the Council for National Policy, which is a kind of central organization of this group, was founded in 1981 by Tim LaHaye, who goes back to the whose roots go back to the John Birch Society? If anyone ever that was the far right in the fifties and the sixties and and even before, um, it's a secretive. The CNP or Council for National Policy kind of draws all these groups together. Uh, organizations such as the Heritage Foundation, which works against lesbian and gay rights and much more, the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is right now trying to take away the abortion pill. Uh, from the millions of women that still have could have some access to abortion since the overthrow of Roe. Uh, the Family Research Council, the Concerned Women for America, which, of course, is totally anti-ERA. The Federalist Society, 
uh, which uh, has basically stocked the courts with far-right judges, resulting in the overturn of Roe last year, uh, because they they were ready, willing, and able when they got the right president, and he got them on, fairly or unfairly. So their stated aim is to uh, dominate every institution in the country, state legislatures, theological schools, churches, the fields of medicine and the law, school boards, the media, public opinion, etc. And they have worked nonstop at this for a good 40, 50 years. And as I said just now, a lot of their efforts have borne fruit. Uh, Roe versus Wade, which was a kind of crown of the legislative achievements of the feminist movement, uh, it did not just fall of its own weight. It it was it was dismantled step by step by step over years and years and years, and finally those three judges, and boom, that was their goal, and they achieved it. They also achieved the overturn of affirmative action, and there are now going to be less uh, people of color in different institutions and less women also, uh, which, of course, include people of color. So the best way to see the right, in my opinion, from all of this research and uh, current events following, following them is not as a collection of different issues, some of which we might agree with, some of which we might not agree with, but it really is one interconnected organism, uh, an umbrella or a master plan and every part of it supports all the other parts of it. You can't uh, peel away individual issues and say, well, this doesn't, doesn't relate to it because it, all parts of it strengthen the other parts of it. That's how it works. And they're all funded, by the way, by the same organizations. So feminism was one of their targets when, uh, in the sort of the 80s. It was very popular. You couldn't, the Republicans who were the the voice of the right and have become more and more the voice of the far right, they had to find a way to co-opt feminism because uh, it was, they just, they never liked feminism. They, uh, as you know, the conservative point of view about women is that uh, women should be subservient and they have fought just about every every piece of legislation that could help women, including women's sports, by the way. It's interesting that now they're fighting for uh, men to stay out of women's sports and, and they've taken on as their issue, but the right wing didn't think anything that women deserve women's sports facilities and always voted them down until recently when they could kind of exploit it. So the Independent Women's Forum was born uh, in, I think it was, I think it was the 90s. It was uh Founded, co-founded by Lynn Cheney and the wives of powerful Republican men. It claimed to be in the service of women, but it voted against any legislation that could actually help women. And I'm talking about affordable child care, paid parental leave, equal pay, stopping violence against women. They voted down waiver or try to every time. Uh, and it instituted a campaign against feminism. The Independent Women's Forum says it's nonpartisan, as many uh, conservative organizations do. But they have put out many slanders about feminism. They are listed even, uh, even uh, well, in all the descriptions on the web as an anti-feminist organization. They said that women who complained about their status as women were, quote, victim feminists. Unfortunately, that got into the popular vernacular. Uh, they claimed that the answer for women was entrepreneurship or starting small businesses, and that was carried on into the Trump administration with Ivanka uh, Trump being the role model of the businesswoman, right? Now, nothing wrong with entrepreneurship. However, that the women need policies, and uh, that will help us. And of course, that isn't a policy and most small businesses fail anyway. So the right uh, has, uh, has been trying to co-opt fe feminism for a long time and its current adoption of the transgender issue, I see as, a, as an example of that. Uh, it features borrowed feminist rhetoric and, and has guests on their talk shows and uh, it engages our speakers, and they are saying that they attack particular evils of the transgender uh, movement, such as men and women's sports, 
and um, you know shared locker rooms and all kinds of all kinds of stuff. Children uh, being transitioned without uh, adequate understanding of what they're getting into. Okay, they they've got some issues that a lot of us have questioned uh, and are uh, even actively fighting to change. However, even though they do that, when you look at their websites, you see that they're not just against transgender certain aspects of transgenderism. What they're against is quote LGBT, right? So sort of right behind that, the transgender issue, it's a kind of smokescreen and behind that are really attacks on uh, lesbianism, gayness in general, and feminism, which of course uh, questions uh, gender roles. So the right has always been against all those things. And, and as I said, I think it's a kind of smokescreen. So I think I'll stop there. And I have a little more to say on that uh, as we go on. But that was my introduction to what the right is. And and it implies, and I'll talk about this later, why I don't think we should be working with them. I think we should be um, in autonomous, left-leaning organizations. I think that's where feminism belongs, and that's what I've been working toward. Okay. Thank you so much for that comprehensive introduction Fran, not only to your own work, but also to the right, as you understand the right. I'm really excited now to introduce Jeanette Cooper. She is a mother, a scholar, and a founding member of Partners for Ethical Care, which is a nonprofit organization focused on raising awareness and supporting efforts to abolish the affirmation model of quote unquote gender identity. She has testified in legislative hearings across the country supporting bills to protect children from gender identity affirmation. Now these bills, I think, are largely uh, bills coming from Republican politicians. So as you will hear, dear listeners and dear viewers, um, there's going to be a difference of opinion here between what Jeanette is going to say and what Fran just told us. She resides in Chicago and has been vaccinated against the uh, right-wing cooties. So uh, welcome, Jeanette. Hi, how are you doing? Thank you so much, Thistle, for organizing this. I wasn't at WDI, but I'm glad to be here, and I very much appreciate, uh, I very much appreciate your time and opportunity to speak on this issue. Like I said, I think uh, most of what I do right now is working with Partners for Ethical Care. Uh, we're all women organization, an all-female organization that works to protect children against um, the affirmation model, the concept that there is such a animal as a gender identity. Um, so we don't believe in, in such a thing. And so we're interested in legislation and litigation that will solidify um, in our government um, the concept that, that that there there should be no affirmation of of gender identity, um, that biological sex is real. I can't believe I have to say this, um, and so that's what we work toward is policies, um, whether that's in like school boards or or in laws or anything like that. That's our unitary focus. We have a bunch of other issues that we disagree on um, as a group. We have kind of a core. Um, group. We're all volunteers. And our core group disagrees on, I would say, major issues, huge issues. Um, But we come together to work just on this issue um, against the gender identity affirmation model. So we've done that successfully. I think we're coming on year three, which is pretty great. Um, Our annual budget's pretty um, small. You would not believe what you can get done with the free labor of women, um, especially professionals. So uh, we're really proud of what we've done. I have spent uh, countless hours with people who are, I guess, labeled the right, um, just as I'm labeled transphobic and a bigot and all kinds of other things, which Um, I just kind of chuckle at because I'm not really a label person. I'm most interested in working with human beings um, and treating them as such. I think when I can treat people with kind of dignity and human dignity, I can get a lot closer to them. And and when I do that, I, I feel like um, we can learn from each other. We we generally don't learn from each other um, when we're shouting at each other or trying to convince somebody of something else. I think when we develop a relationship of trust, um, it's it's more amenable to learning. 
So my background really is in homeschooling. So uh, my PhD work and um, dissertation that I'm working on is in homeschooling and government regulation. So briefly, I, I feel very confident in the success um, that we we will see in the trajectory that we're taking in terms of uh, legislation and litigation, um, especially against school boards and, and school districts around the concept of gender identity. Um, the right is extremely well organized. They have a top-down structure, which works um, in our in our favor sometimes when we want something to be accomplished. It's, it's basically like clicking your fingers and they all kind of fall in line in the most horrible and awesome way. So it's, it's quite an opportunity for us to uh, accomplish the thing, the specific thing that we wish to accomplish, um, which is to stop removing the breasts of girls and to stop chopping off the um, genitalia of boys. Um, the faster that we can get that accomplished, the better. Because we can't reverse time and we certainly can't put those parts back on. Um, and, and the faster we stop the trauma um, that is happening to children and will continue over their lifetimes, the better. So I, I guess, I, like I said, I spend a, a hell of a lot of time really talking one-on-one -on -one with legislators. I remember talking to this guy named Brian McCann. I think he's like Illinois Family Institute or something, um, maybe a year or two ago. And I said, I really appreciate your time, Brian. Um, this may be the only issue we agree on. And when we're across across the fence from each other the next time, I I, I know that we'll treat each other with respect. And, and that's what we've done. Um, and there are many times that I disagree on many things, but sitting at the table with... Um, with Republican legislators gives me an opportunity to talk about other things because if I'm not at that table, I don't really have that opportunity for them to actually listen and have a sense of trust with me. So I do appreciate their time and I, I do very much want to be treated as a human being. And thus I, I, I have chosen to work with all, really anybody <laughs> on the issue to, um, to stop the affirmation model. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll take any questions later. I, I think, like you said, Thistle, we have uh, disagreements on this issue and in different ways of going about a bunch of different things. I like to say also that I, I, I guess I voted, I voted in every election since I was 18, and I voted Republican once, and I'm still alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, it's male politics, right? It's the, all of it. The Republicans and the Democrats are yeah. male-led, uh, male-centered. I mean, our whole government is is male-centered, really. Yeah. So and the the question comes becomes how do we change policies to aid women and girls? And I mean. When I express the difference, like when people ask, you know, how, how do men work together and how do women work together and men work quite a, you know, top down hierarchical model, partners for ethical care is, is not that um, we're very much a feminist organization and we work collaboratively, meaning I, I try to embody that in, in the work that I do with really anybody. Like I said, sure, it's a lot of Republicans, but I can tell you now we wrote legislation um, and it, I don't really care what the source is. I, I want to get my hands on that legislation and, and craft the wording. That's why I'm interested in that. I'm, I'm not going to say that, you know, um, somebody's going to take control of that. I, I want to work collaboratively with anybody. And I think working collaboratively is, is very much a feminist endeavor. Mm -hmm. Well said. And I think that kind of goes, that's in contrast to the feeling that Fran was dis describing mm -hmm. of you being taken advantage of and co-opted. <laughs> I don't think anybody could take advantage of me. They, that's probably not possible. Right, but let's, I mean, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that idea yeah. because that is an idea that's out there. And I know that you feel empowered. You're talking to policymakers and actually having a hand in writing the policy. Most um, of the time, so we'll actually hand it to them, and then they'll then they'll put some revisions. I mean, they 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 write to us and say, "Do you have a model bill?" And the answer is yes. We've written one. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Jeanette. We are now going to move on to our next guest. She is Anne Manashi, and she's a civil rights attorney living in San Diego, California. She's a lesbian feminist who's a founding member of FIST. Feminists in Struggle, 
a political a political group for women in the U.S. to organize and strengthen female solidarity, and is a member of GASPAR, the Green Alliance for Sex-Based Rights, and comes from a long tradition of voting and running in the Green Party, having become disillusioned with America's two-party system. So welcome, Anne. Thank you, Thistle, for having this. And excuse my voice, I'm getting over COVID. <laughs> um, the price I paid for going to a very fascinating conference in San Francisco with, um, uh, with WDI. I have a long history of fighting the right uh, in real time. I was very involved in uh, for decades in the pro-choice movement, the abortion rights movement, uh, and for the Equal Rights Amendment, and uh, also for lesbian and gay rights in the early years, in the late 1970s, into the 80s, and also more, more recently with, for marriage equality. So I was... I have to agree with Fran on her description of the people of not the individuals, but these organizations and what they're fundamentally about. And I think we have to have historical memory uh, that they are not fundamentally our friends, <laughs> even when we, our positions may overlap on some things. So I think, but we are in a very difficult uh, uh, situation right now because um I see the Democrats also as our enemy, um, neoliberalism and uh, the, which I think the pushing of transgender ideology has been part of, um, has, is basically represented by the Democratic Party, um, and it's also corporate and corrupt, just like the Republicans, and also anti-woman. They did nothing to protect women's reproductive rights, really, when it came down to it. They had many opportunities to codify Roe, they never did. Um, they mostly use it as an election ploy, and it's really the women's movement that won what we won. Um, it wasn't the Democrats. So I think it's a mistake to rely on either party or, and not to see clearly that we have enemies. They are our enemies. We have two enemies, not one. And that's always been my position. We have two enemies and not one in this situation. So how do we function as feminists in this um not ideal kind of situation where uh, we had a, a mass feminist movement. Uh, we had a mass gay and lesbian liberation movement. Those things have been pretty much destroyed. We're trying to re-piece and put together a, a feminist movement again, but we're at a very small stage, like, you know, like who shrunk the kids, who shrunk the movement. I mean, <laughs> I used to be able to, in San Francisco, decades ago, I had a lesbian feminist organization called Lesbian Uprising, and we had a mailing list of a thousand. And you know, we had you know thirty people, twenty people, thirty people come to meetings. Now I'm lucky nationally if I can pull that off. <laughs> so things um, <clears throat> we uh, we are in way weakened uh, condition. But I think we have to be aware of our history, and we have to be open eyed about. Uh, the forces that would push women back. Um, and I think, as I said, they're, they're two, not one. Um, so I think for me, the most important thing is to is independence, political uh, independence of feminism, that we are, um, we build our, our own independent movement. We uh, reject um, depending on either corporate party, corporate patriarchal party uh, for uh, our salvation. We fund our own movement, which is extremely important. Um, so we're not beholden to anybody else. Um, and uh, we start putting the pieces together. Now, how we work on, on specific issues, I think um, we have to take case by case, but we have to have our eyes open and, um, you know, recognize the landscape as it is and not, not uh, to, you know, not forget, you know, our history and forget reality. We have to be good on reality. So I'll stop there as a, just an introduction. I have a lot more to say, but. Okay, thank you so much, Anne. And finally, I will now introduce our, so our final speaker today is Holly Hart. She's been a second wave feminist and lesbian activist since 1970 when she founded Portland Gay Liberation with Two Gay Men. Holly was the chair of Oregon's Task Force on Sexual Preference, the first official state entity in the nation to study and make recommendations on how 
homosexual women and men could be better served by government and nonprofit organizations. As an attorney, she represented many gay women and men in child custody disputes with their former heterosexual married partners. In 1980, she opened up old she opened up Old Wives Tales Restaurant and Women's Center, providing a place for second wave feminists to gather and as the first alternative to lesbian bars in Portland. Old Wives Tales served the women of Portland in this way for 34 years until 2014. After retiring from out, O-W-T, Holly became active in radical feminist organizations like Sovereign Women Speak, Wolf, WDIUSA, and she's now Oregon co-chapter leader for Gays Against Groomers. So welcome, Holly. Um, we're so glad that you are here. What what? So what I am currently doing, and I'm speaking from my experience in my current activism, is I have been working with the Washington State Organization, Sovereign Women Speaks, and with Wolf, and with WDI. Um, USA, and also with a local uh, group of Oregon parents whose children at some point were caught up in the whole transgender, you know, ideology and thought they were trans. And unfortunately, some of these kids still do. In all of these organizations, I work with Republicans because there are Republicans in all of these organizations including, by the way, um, Gays Against Groomers. So uh, for me, it's not... A, so, you know, what's what, what do we define as the right? Two of the women uh, just now, you know, um, described... Anne, Anne and Fran described at length the organized right. And by right, it's actually right the right of right it's not centrists uh who might be you know right of center and um i just want to say not all republicans are the same and yes there are right-wing organizations like the heritage foundation that are very well funded and very powerful and they have an agenda that is not at all going to be the agenda of those of us who care about women overall but as Anne has also noted, uh, what? What's the left doing? The, way, the reason that we got Dobbs and are stuck with Dobbs and are fighting for our lives and the lives of women in every single state in the union at some level is because when the Democrats completely controlled the federal government, the first Obama administration, they didn't bother to pass national legislation protecting abortion, okay? It wasn't their priority. And a lot of us think it's because they want, they knew that that a decision like Dobbs was coming, okay? They knew it. We all knew it. We all knew that as soon as the Supreme Court had enough conservative justices that uh, Roe v. Wade would would be abolished because the, the conservatives were already chipping away at it at the court. And so stop, you know, step back and look, the Democratic Party, the organized Democratic Party is not our friend. It's not the friend of women. Um, Many of us believe that the reason why in the Obama administration they did not pass national legislation protecting abortion is precisely to preserve the issue so that women would be forced to continue to vote for Democrats the further along the destruction of Roe v. Wade went. And by God, that's where we're at. And what we are being told is that abortion is the most powerful thing. It's the most important thing. Everything has to revolve around preserving women's right to abortion. And therefore, the leap then becomes, and therefore we have to oppose everything that anybody on the right is for. And that is elite. That's a, that's too big of a jump for me. So I want to, um, I want to urge all of you at some point to go to the 
website of the Women's Liberation Front, right? Womensliberationfront.org and read under About Us the history of feminist crossed aisle collaboration. Because it, I would, I don't know, before this time is up, maybe I'll end up reading it. But basically what it's doing is it's going way back to pointing out that um, much of the most important uh, legislation, including the 19th Amendment, which gave women the right to vote, were, were introduced and supported and only came about because of Republicans. Now, yes, I know that the Republicans 100 years ago were different, but it, it simply isn't true that all rad- radical feminists in the United States are liberals <laughs> or, or conservative. Um, I, I think that um, it's throwing the baby out with the bathwater to say that we cannot in any way, shape or form do anything like vote with the Republicans on some piece of legislation, let's say, to keep boys out of girls' sports and, you know, men out of women's sports. That's throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Why wouldn't we want to encourage uh, Democrats, you know, in a in a red state legislature to vote with the Republicans when the Republicans introduce protections like keeping men out of women's prisons. What, how is that advancing the Republican agenda? That's what I hear a lot. Boy, if you support anything they support, you're advancing the Republican agenda. Really? Uh, you know, no, I pretty much think the single out issue of keeping men out of women's prisons, that's <laughs> if the Republicans are willing to you know, to, to prohibit that, then why wouldn't we support that? Why wouldn't we support Republicans who want to keep uh, ma- males out of female sports? The passage of legislation like that only does that. It doesn't somehow put money in the coffers of the Heritage Foundation or cause people to vote Republican. What's causing people to not want to vote Democrat is because of the positions of Democrats on issues that we care about. And uh, so, I I mean, I've been told by Democratic operatives here in Portland that, um, you know, it's, it's the old, we'll deal with the woman issue later, but first we have to beat the fascists. We'll deal with the transgender issue later, but first we have to beat the Republicans. No, no, we, we need to, we need to look at what's best for women on an issue-by-issue basis. I'm going to bring Fran on now to respond to that. So here you go, Fran. Okay. Um, first of all, let me say that there is a very big difference between working with individuals and working with large, well-funded uh, groups, groups that historically have lots of power. That's that's in answer to something that uh, Jeanette said, and I'm all for organizing with everybody, okay, as individuals. But there really is a big jump in scale when you're dealing with very well-organized, historically interconnected groups. When you take, I don't believe that these right-wing, this right-wing organism uh, gives away anything. I don't believe it does anything for nothing. It is historically our enemy. It is against everything that feminists stand for. And that certainly includes their Christian right faction, which is enormous. Um, And then if you jump ahead and you look at collaborations between historically between right and left and left does have meaning left ultimately is not greed over everything which the right wing is the right wing you know their bible is adam smith and the christian bible and uh, you know the left is some people say oh the left is not relevant but the left is relevant because the left is based on um, to each according to their need. In other words, people over profit. Now, you might say, well, what is the left doing nowadays? Very, very good point. The left has become decimated, has become dismantled in many ways, and it needs to be rebuilt because if we don't rebuild it, we wind up with this right-wing thing, this juggernaut that is against 
the environment. They don't even believe that uh, the environmental crisis is human made. They all said that on the Republican stage of the debate. Uh, that is against uh, social security and actively working against it. That is absolutely against all of women's rights, actively working right now. And it's how do you, I don't know how you form coalitions with people who are trying to take away the abortion pill, which is the last the last frontier of what women are counting on now that 21 states have taken away abortion. And no, I don't think abortion is the only issue. And I do think that the Democrats are uh, did let us down by that sin of omission uh, of not uh, not reinforcing a Roe versus Wade. However, women were only 86 percent of women had. Ac- I'm sorry, I got that backwards. 86 percent of women did not have access to abortion before that juggernaut on the Supreme Court took away Roe versus Wade. And that was because of constant Republican chipping away. These people don't rest. They've been working uh, just nonstop for 50 years. And they're proceeding with their plans. If they get into office uh, next time around, that's uh, a Trump, which is even a possibility of another presidency. That's it. Everything will be decimated. Every progressive thing. Now, the Democrats, I am not a Democrat apologist. I see they do lots of things wrong, and I think that the transgender issue is a tragic mistake on their part, which there are some signs they're beginning to pull back on because they understand that the people are not with them. Um, Nevertheless, the Democratic Party is a kind of repository of earlier progressive achievements, okay, such as Social Security, etc. They don't defend them well enough, and that is why we need a real left. We need a left that will create a society that really goes in the direction of people over profit. And in a society where it's profit over people, women are always at the bottom of the barrel. We're the bottom uh, peg of the 99%. So we really need something left. I maintain that we are wasting our energy throwing it to the right. They can very well, as as, uh, uh, Holly pointed out, they are very well funded. They really can take care of themselves. Using our feminist energy to be what I call the tail wagging the dog is really just throwing it away. And we lose our credibility when we have anything to do, when we have any public appearances uh, and public coalitions with the right, such as what Wolf did with the Heritage Foundation. Uh, I cannot tell you how impossible it is to talk to people who are left of center from the Democratic Party on down to the real left when they can say to you, ah, but the uh, the people who are, you know, so-called attacking transgenderism, you know, they collaborate with the right. It is almost impossible to not get caught in that sticky glue of being associated with the right, which is BS. And there are now organizations, feminist organizations, that are beginning to say, no, we will not work with them. We will not be the tail that wags the dog. We will focus on people who are left of center, who, by the way, are dying to join us, but will not do it as long as we work with the right. And, uh, you know, there's, uh, what, are you asking why is uh, a group of desisters and and detransitioners who is saying that um other other feminist groups are saying that and many people on the left are dying to get into it but don't want to be tainted with the right-wing thing and ultimately historically the right wing is the enemy of feminism period and you really can't just shrug that off they're working right now to take away all of our gains so you know and also we're weaker we're weaker than they are. They, When you work in a coalition, there should be equal partners. But when one partner has so much power and the other doesn't, you just get this tail wagging the dog effect. Okay. And you lose your own credibility. Thank, thank you, it. Fran. I, I've, um, Holly has asked to respond to what you're saying. What do you think about this, Holly, the tail wagging the dog? What I hear Fran keep doing is just staying on a very general level and making statements that do not relate to specific actions, specific legislation, specific protests, specific anything. Um, And I don't understand what, let's just take Wolf for an example. What, yes, Wolf, more than a half dozen years ago, accepted $15,000 from the Heritage Foundation in order to support a lawsuit that Wolf was bringing. I don't remember the exact lawsuit. 
But it was a lawsuit we would all support. We all support. Wolf did not change one single thing in their lawsuit to in any way, shape, or form accommodate the Heritage Foundation. All that Wolf did was take $15,000 that the Heritage Foundation might have spent on something that we disapprove of. Okay, it was it was a one-way transaction that that Wolf benefited and women benefited from Wolf being able to have to bring the lawsuit and the Heritage Foundation got nothing from Wolf. Their Wolf members did appear on a panel at the Heritage Foundation, it, you know, in I guess it was Washington DC with Heritage Foundation members in the audience filling the room. On that panel were three out of four of the Wolf members were lesbians, and they were pretty obviously lesbians. So what Wolf actually got was from the Heritage Foundation was not just 15,000, but the attention of members of the Heritage Foundation in that room and who later saw, saw the panel discussion, and it was Wolf members advocating for women's sex-based rights against the incursion of transgender ideology. Okay, where's the downside to that? We oh, got true. their platform. We got millions of people that follow the Heritage Foundation to listen to lesbian radical feminists. And I will tell you that from work that I have done on the ground, you know, I know for a fact that there are now more con conservatives that I have had contact with, which at one point um, in, in my advocacy for, for women against, and children against the gender borg, that, you know, you, we, we know what it is. We know how important it is. People become more understanding of and accepting of homosexuals if they actually are in contact with us particularly relationship contact, like working with somebody over time. So I, I think that we have gained from, from the very limited association. We haven't supported their agenda. We have brought them to more of our agenda. And a concrete example is that in all the, the typical right-wing legislation to, um, uh, let's see, Oh, having to do with all kinds of transgender stuff where they 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 say to the court, this violates our religious freedom. It violates the religious freedom of a teacher to have to use pronouns and to bear false witness because the teacher doesn't feel the kid is, you know, the sex that the kid claims. So this is what WD, Kara Dansky and other attorneys for WDI and the, the various attorneys for Wolf have done. But. Their, in their relationship with uh, the legal legal wings of different the groups that are bringing these lawsuits on behalf of right wing people, they've said no 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 the re religion is one argument, but really you should be included you should expand that, and then there's various other legal things that are more promoting of of us like freedom of speech freedom from compelled speech. And and so in some of the cases, the Republican legislators have added the language we wanted instead of just being the right wing religious freedom one. So <laughs> to work with to, to to file an amicus brief for something that's um, a lawsuit that's brought by the, you know, some right wing organization when Wolf does that, when WDI does that, that's what we shouldn't support their lawsuit. Why not? And in many cases, we've made their lawsuit better by giving the court other additional grounds to rule in favor of women and children. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much, Holly. Um, and next, Jeanette has uh, asked to speak. So I'm going to hand it over to Jeanette. Thank you. Um, I, 
I guess it's it's really important for us to actually have different strategies, right? Because then people can make comparisons and they can see which one kind of fits best with the moment that they're in in their life. Um, and I say this because I was a I don't need feminism um, woman uh, until I don't know. Let's say the Michigan Women's Music Festival. Um, then I was pretty adamant um, about radical feminism and uh, the separation, the idea of good and bad um, ideas. And then th through the idea of like saying that some people are my enemy, um, I think the trauma that has happened to, to be honest, parents um, and others inside of transgenderism um, eliminates any idea that there are good and bad and there are such a person as my enemy. I simply don't believe that. Um, sure, there are some ideas that I'm fully and wholly against, um, the disembodiment of human beings, certainly. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. I, I run a parent group of now over 3,600 parents who are divergent in their views on just about everything including gender identity. And I, I really don't have to moderate that group oddly, even though we have people who are probably pretty far left, probably pretty far right and all over the place. And the reason that we don't really have to moderate those discussions is they engage in a way that I think is quite healthy on a singular issue. Um, that's kind of amazing. You know, Holly's in that group and, and does a, a fantastic job of kind of what we call building bridges. So we have we have a rule in that group of no labels. You can't even label yourself as right or left or conservative or liberal. Um, no labels are allowed. And, and we say labeling someone's viewpoint or actions creates walls instead of builds bridges. And what we're interested in as human beings, um, at least in the group, is creating connections because that's how we survive as a species. And we'll leave it there with Jeanette expounding on her points about building bridges instead of walls. To hear the entire hour and a half long discussion about feminists working with the right and whether it is a good idea or not, you can go to WLRN's YouTube channel and click on the live tab to find it. Thanks for staying tuned to WLRN. From across the femisphere to women worldwide, worldwide to women worldwide, radical feminist media to break the sound barrier, break the sound barrier, break the sound barrier, break the sound barrier, radical feminist media to break the sound barrier. This is your, 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 your grassroots community radio station, your radio station, grassroots. This is your grassroots community radio station, women's liberation radio news. question, should we associate with right-wing women, remains a contentious one in the radical feminist world. It probably always will be. In recent years, some radical and liberal feminist women have teamed up with right-wing women to fight the trans cult, just as they have for decades to fight porn. And they've gotten heat from other feminists for doing so. Some radical and lesbian feminists even go so far as to label right-wing friendly women traitors and fake feminists. At the very least, there's a sense that right-wing friendly feminists and anti-trans activists are naive, that they're being duped and used by the right, that they can't see the forest for the trees because they're too wrapped up in the trans issue. Essentially, feminists who have a problem with right-wing friendly women consider them either destructively anti-woman or just dumb and careless. In reality, there are nuances to the situation. Not all right-wing women share the same politics. While many are religious, some are not. There are women who hold right-wing positions on economic issues, but not on social issues. I'm sure there are some women for whom the reverse is true. The point is, not all right-wing women are the extreme religious types brimming with every social prejudice in the book, 
which is the stereotype we typically think of in the U.S. these days whenever we talk about the right wing. Of course, those women exist, along with their men, and they're dangerous. Some of the most dangerous voters, politicians, and political donors in the country. But that breed of right-winger doesn't represent the whole group. I think right-wing women who are closer to the center of the political spectrum can be worth talking to politically, especially if they're secular or only passively religious. The ones who aren't dedicated to turning America into a Christo-fascist hellscape. No, they aren't feminists, and most never will be. Yes, they stand in the way of feminist progress on many, if not most, fronts. These facts don't change that right-wing women can be useful to feminists if we play our cards right. The same is true of liberal women, who are really no closer to feminism than moderate conservatives. If we're comparing women who are right of center to women who are left of center, but only the ones who are moderate, we gotta consider how much more we actually disagree with the right-wing women than we do with the liberals. Yes, I realize we also need to consider which political positions women hold on either side that are harmful to women, and girls categorically, or along intersecting axes of oppression, and how harmful those positions are. But let's acknowledge the fact that as radical feminists, we don't actually align with liberal women much more than we do with right-wing women. And much of liberal women's politics are harmful to women and girls, not necessarily less than that of right-wing women's. Sure, on issues like abortion, there are a clear-cut line dividing the anti-woman position from the pro-woman position, and the anti-woman position literally threatens the lives and psychological well-being of women and girls. Liberal women beat right-wing women there. But if we add up all the harm liberal and leftist politics does to women, and all the harm moderate conservative politics does to women, is the difference so great that we can justify working with liberal women, but not with conservative women? That's the question. Work with right-wing women or don't, but either way, acknowledge that they aren't the only ones hindering the feminist movement and serving heteropatriarchy. Liberal and leftist women outside of feminism do that, too. You could argue that anti-feminist liberal and leftist women are less harmful to womankind than right-wing women, but at this point, I'm not sure that's true. They're harmful in different ways. But is the sum total of liberal harm really so much less than the sum total of right-wing harm? Liberal and leftist women are not only pro-trans, pro-porn, and pro-prostitution. They're pro-femininity and pro-plastic surgery. They're often willing to passively support or enable war. They're anti-homosexual in service of transgenderism. They're happy to destroy and prohibit female-only spaces. The list goes on. Yeah, none of that negates where liberal and leftist women align with feminism. But they are, nevertheless, perpetuating harm against women and girls wherever they don't align just like the right-wing women do. Maybe I'm copping out, but at this point, I don't blame feminists and liberal women for attempting to use right-wing women's allyship when fighting the trans cult. Just like I don't blame them for that alliance on the anti-porn and anti-prostitution fronts. Those feminists have to be careful, of course. And I don't pretend for a nanosecond that feminist motives are at all similar to right-wing motives in any of these fights. But in the big picture, I don't care about motives. I care about results. Why right-wing women have a problem with transgenderism, porn, and prostitution is ultimately irrelevant. If they can help feminists minimize the harm of these forces in the world, why shouldn't we use them? We're comfortable enough using liberal and leftist women to get what we want when it comes to LGB rights, racial equality, economic justice, etc despite their positions on transgenderism, porn, prostitution, and other significant subjects. I always come back to male violence and sexual predation because at the end of the day, those are feminism's core concerns and experiences that unite women across the political spectrum. Regardless of her politics on every other subject, no woman wants to be the victim of a violent rapist male. And most women have enough of a sense of self-preservation and self-respect 
to recognize that they don't deserve to suffer those men, nor do other women. I'll take any woman at my side fighting against male violence and rape, and I'll defend any woman against those experiences too. Men will set aside their differences to victimize women and girls together. At the very least, women need to match that solidarity when resisting that victimization. Thanks for listening to WLRN's 90th edition podcast discussing feminists engaging with right-wing politicians and constituents with the intent to advance women's rights and protections. WLRN would like to thank our guests this month for sharing their views. Thank you so much, Fran Luck, Jeanette Cooper, Anne Menashe, and Holly Hart for speaking with us. Until next time, this is Thistle signing off on another WLRN podcast. If you like what you're hearing and want to donate to the cause of Feminist Community Radio, please visit our WordPress site and click on the Donate button. Check out our merch tab to get a nice gift in exchange for your donation. And if you are interested in joining our team, we are always looking for new volunteers to conduct interviews, write blog posts, post to our Facebook and other social media pages, and do other tasks to keep us moving forward as a collective of media activist women. Thanks for listening. This is Sekhmet Shiaul, signing off for now. And I'm Emily. Thanks for tuning in. Next month, we'll focus our program on body image and the holidays. Our handcrafted podcasts always come out the first Thursday of the month, so look for it on Thursday, November 2nd. If you'd like to receive our newsletter that notifies you when each podcast, music show, and interviews are released, please sign up for our newsletter on the WLRN WordPress site. Stay strong in the struggle, and thanks for listening. This is Mary, signing off on another edition of WLRN's monthly handcrafted podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Spinster, Overit, and SoundCloud, in addition to our WordPress site. Thanks for listening. And this is Jenna. Our monthly podcasts are always crafted with tender, loving care and in solidarity with women worldwide. Thanks for your support. We would love to hear from you. So please comment, like, and share widely. But how will we find our way out of this? What is the antidote for the patriarchal kiss? How will we find what needs to be shown? And then after that, where is home? Tell me, where is my home? Cause gender hurts.